Stories told of uh, a strong man who uh, had a sideshow in uh, various circuses. He would travel around. And uh, he always amazed his audiences with every performance. And uh, toward the end of many of his performances, what he would do is he would take a lemon, have a little bowl there on the stage, on a table, and in his strong hands, he would squeeze that lemon. I mean, till he got every drop out. And then he would say to the onlookers, if anyone dared to take him on, he said, I'll pay $200 to anybody who can come up here and squeeze even one more drop out of this lemon. Well, you know, different big guys like, I think I can do it. And they'd go up there and nothing would happen. So he had that challenge uh, in his show, pretty much uh, each uh, performance. Well, one day he gave that challenge and a thin, older, rather frail lady said, I'll take the challenge. Everybody was kind of amazed. So she came up on the stage and she took that lemon and to uh, the amazement of everybody, she not only got one more drop, but she got a whole teaspoonful of lemon juice out. And uh, the strong man was just absolutely amazed, so was the audience, and he paid the woman the $200, that was the challenge, and he said to her, what in the world is the secret of your strength? And she said to him, practice. I have been the treasurer of my church for 42 years. <laughs> I've uh, served several congregations over the years, and truly how thankful I am for church treasurers, for trustees, for others who endeavor year by year to squeeze the most, if I can put it that way, out of every dollar that is given. But over the years, I've oftentimes wondered, what would it be like if every person in the congregation who claimed true faith in Christ gave truly in accordance with his or her income? What if every person gave regularly and generously and joyfully? I would submit to you that congregation would never have to worry about its yearly budget. That congregation would never have to say, you know, we have a wonderful ministry opportunity in front of us, but we just don't have the funds to carry it out. Uh, that congregation would never have to say, you know, we're just struggling to barely maintain the few things that we have around here. Been focusing in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 on the subject of giving, Paul takes two chapters worth to talk about offerings and giving and stewardship. And so I'm following Paul's example of taking the entire two chapters in order and talking for these last weeks about giving and stewardship and offerings and those sorts of things. So now we're coming to the last paragraph. Paul's at the end of his presentation of these issues. And as he draws his remarks to a close in 2 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 6 through 15, he does so by setting forth, um, I wasn't sure the word to use, various reasons, um, various incentives, various encouragements to be a regular, joyful, generous giver. And we looked at the first one in verse 6 last week, where Paul makes the point that generous giving produces a generous reward. Therefore, that should be an incentive, 
an encouragement to give. And we looked at verse 6 where Paul says, think like a farmer does. You remember that from last week, where Paul writes, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Proverbs 22, verse 9, puts it this way, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Generous giving produces a bountiful harvest so that one can continue to give generously an incentive for giving. This morning, I want us to look a little further in this passage and notice two additional reasons, encouragement, uh, incentives to be a regular, joyful, generous giver. The second one is this, found in verse 7. Many of you know at least part of the verse. Paul says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's an incentive, that's a reason, that's a motivation for giving. Let's just break down this verse. Let's unpack what verse 7 says just a little bit. First of all, I want you to notice the source of giving. Did you catch it in the verse? The source is not your bank account. Uh, the source is not your financial resources, but the source is the heart. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6, verse 21? He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you spend your money on is an indicator of what you value. What a church spends its money on in its budget is an indicator of what we as a fellowship of believers truly values. And so how we spend our money, whether it's individually, whether it is at a as a congregation, we can say, here's what we treasure, here's what we value, but if the money doesn't follow our words, then they're just simply empty words. You give from the heart. That's where all true Christian giving begins. Yes, you draw on the resources you have, of course. Uh, you, you make tangible gifts, of course, we all do that. But the source, the fountainhead of all of these things is the heart. And when the heart is right, I have no hesitancy in saying this, when the heart is right, whatever your gift is, whether it's a small gift or a large gift, when your heart is right, that gift will be God-honoring. So you notice the, the, the source is there in the heart. Notice then Paul tells us how not to give. Did you catch that here in this verse? Two very important words that he uses. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Here's the first one, not reluctantly. Uh, some versions use the word grudgingly. Um, I, I like the etymology of the Greek word. It means to give out of sorrow. It means I don't really want to part with the money. But everybody's coming up for the offering, and so, you know, there goes my $20 in the basket. Goodbye to your friend. Oh, no, I hope we'll meet soon again. So sad to see you go. Okay, that's the sense of the word, that you give out of sorrow. It's like, oh, no, I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss you so much. Wish you could come back. Paul says you don't give reluctantly or literally out of sorrow, and you don't give under compulsion. Uh, or of necessity, like I'm kind of forced into it. I don't really want to give, but for any number of reasons, for show or somebody's buttonholing me or whatever it is, I suppose I ought to give something. I feel pressured to donate. If I weren't pressured, I wouldn't give anything, but here is a little something. 
Uh, Paul says you do not give reluctantly and you do not give under compulsion. But how are we to give? We're to give cheerfully. You notice the verse says. Romans chapter 12, Paul uses the very same word as in our text. Um, He talks about in Romans 12, if you remember how the chapter begins, he says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, in light of all of God's mercies, his love, his grace, the cross, forgiveness of sins, all of these things, in light of God's mercies, I plead with you. Notice he doesn't command or order or demand, but he urges, I plead with you, to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship and service. And as Paul then develops that thought, he turns to the subject of various spiritual gifts in Romans 12. And he comes to the matter of giving down in Romans 12 and verse 8. And he says, here's how you should give. The one who does acts of mercy... And that's Paul's word there for giving because giving is something tangible. Uh, it's, It's not just in theory, but it's an actual gift of time, of money, of involvement, of help, whatever it might be. The one who does acts of mercy, let that person do it, Paul says, with cheerfulness. Same word as in our text. And what is cheerfulness? Basically, it's a readiness of mind. Maybe this is the best way to describe it, where there is a prompt and eager response to whatever need is in front of you, something that you eagerly jump in on. It doesn't mean you have a smile on your face. Hopefully you would, I suppose. But it means here's a need. It's like, you know what? I can help with that. I can give to that. That's what that word cheerfully Uh, conveys here in this text give cheerfully and then notice how the verse begins none of us are left out are we each one to give so when it comes to the congregation when it comes to ministry when it comes to giving each one of us is called to give cheerfully from the heart no exceptions and then we get down to The point, God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love an eager, ready, responsive giver? It's because that's who he is. You know, go through the Bible and and look every place in the Old Testament and New Testament where God is described as giving something or being one who gives. And never will you find God is described as giving reluctantly giving grudgingly, giving because uh, in some way he felt pressured into it. God gives readily, joyfully, eagerly, generously, freely. That's how God gives. And so God delights in the person who reflects that in his or her life. So if we claim to be children of God, when our giving is along that line, it brings glory to him. God takes delight in that because it reflects his character. God loves a cheerful giver you know sometimes in the church we can turn ministry into something unpleasant we can turn giving into something unpleasant Uh, maybe you've been in circumstances situations churches where that has been so where, where there is ministry pressure exerted on somebody to give Uh, What's been encouraging to me here over the years is sometimes when we've had, let's say, a little bit of a shortfall on something, whether it's one of the trustees or whoever has stood up here, never once has the trustee said, shame on you. Why aren't the rest of you giving like you should? You know, you need to, you better. It's never been that way. It's here's the need. As God prompts you, as God moves in your heart, 
we invite you to give. That's the way that, that Christian giving is always described in uh, the Scripture. N not one of us appreciates high-pressure salesmen. Um, the hard sell is offensive in all circumstances. We've all experienced that at various times in our lives. Uh, and when it comes to the church, where there's the hard sell, where there's the pressure, there's the, the guilting of people, twisting the arm, so to speak, th that's nowhere in line with biblical giving. I, I remember one year, uh, well, for several years at Our Redeemers, as we would get ready for our annual meeting, we decided as, um, as a church council, we were going to publish a couple of months ahead of time a booklet laying out our budget for the next year. And uh, in fact, one of the years we actually had it professionally printed and we had pictures and the whole business in it. So we went around to each ministry, we went to, let's say, uh, youth ministry. Okay, w what can you tell us about what God has done in the past year? What do you envision for next year? Okay, the budget last year was this. What do you envision you might need this year? And we had that all in there. Went to Sunday school, went to children's ministry. Okay, here's what the budget says. How much do you envision for next year? A senior ministry. We, we laid all those things out in this booklet. And then we gave people a couple months before our annual meeting to read it through, to pray through it. And the challenge was, what can you give this year? Here's what God's doing. Here's what we're looking forward to in the next ministry season. How would God prompt you to, uh, to give? And it, it, was, it was an amazing, uh, wonderful exercise because our hope was that people would, would catch a vision in a greater way. Because if you just look at a budget on a piece of paper, that's not exciting. It's, it's just numbers. But when you can see what God is, is doing, that catch the vision of what he's doing, and then there's a spirit of love and response and joy and eagerness in God's grace to spur on additional generosity and expanded ministry. Um, and so we put those booklets together along this line of, let's see what God might do stirring up cheerful, eager, ready, responsive, knowledgeable givers. God loves a cheerful giver. Well, let's notice uh, one more reason or incentive or encouragement uh, to be a regular, joyful, generous giver. And it's this. It's found in verses 8 through 10. I want to just focus on verse 8 this Sunday We'll come back to 9 and 10 next week. But here, reading verse 8. Notice this promise. Do you believe it's true? And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, here's the promise, you may abound in most of our translations say every, but it's the same Greek word, that you may abound in all good work. You notice that little adjective, all, five times in this one verse. So with God, there is all grace. There is all sufficiency that comes from his grace. And, and at all times, in all things, we are equipped to give. We're equipped for every good work. That's the promise here. Do you believe that God provides what you need to be generous. That's what verse 8 says pretty clearly. Matthew chapter 6, going back to the Sermon on the Mount again, Matthew 6 and verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what's the promise? And all these things, 
shall be added to you as well. And when you read in the context, what are the, all these things? It's the things for daily not life. It's having sufficiency to pay your bills, to meet your responsibilities, your obligations, that when you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, you're not going to come up short on that stuff. That's what Jesus is saying. Philippians chapter 4, uh, Paul, as he writes to that congregation, it's kind of a thank you letter because they had sent him some money while he was in jail in Rome, and he had some financial needs. He didn't ask for it, but they found out about it, and they just freely sent money Paul's way to help him with expenses uh, while he was in prison. And so he writes this letter to the Philippians, this thank you note, and uh, after he expresses his heartfelt thanks to that congregation, here's the promise that he gives them in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's another way of restating verse 8. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now understand, what is Paul promising? What is Jesus promising in the Sermon on the Mount? It's not the false promises of the health and wealth preachers. I said that last week. I need to say it again. Namely, that all your desires are going to be met. That uh, you won't, um, if you're struggling financially, all of a sudden, all this new fountain of wealth will open up for you. That if you're sick, uh, you'll recover from sickness. That if you send these hucksters on TV your seed money, as they like to call it, you're going to prosper financially, you're going to prosper physically, uh, everything's going to be great, everything you desire can be yours, um, the name it, claim it. You, you say, this is what I want, I name it, I claim it by faith, and it's going to be mine. Okay, Jesus isn't saying anything close to that, neither is the Apostle Paul. If you remember back in this section in uh, chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, where Paul starts out this whole lengthy two chapters on the subject of giving, he starts out by reminding the uh, Corinthians about the Macedonians, the Christians in the church in Philippi, in Thessalonica, those kinds of congregations. And he points out how they were stirred they were motivated by the grace of God to give. And remember what Paul said, they gave above and beyond their ability to give. If you can paraphrase what Paul says, I tried to say no more, you guys can't afford it. But they said we want to give more to the offering. Paul says they gave beyond their ability even to give, but willingly from the heart. They scattered the seed. And what was the result? They stayed in the same economic circumstances they were. You didn't go from being lower class to all of a sudden living in a mansion, that sort of thing. Uh, they still faced affliction. Uh, they still faced persecution in one form or another, but God supplied sufficient funds for them, met their daily needs, so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may keep on giving. That's what God had done for the Philippians, and so as they gave to ministry as they gave to help others, God continued to supply resources, not so they could better their lifestyle and live in luxury, but so they could continue to give and bring glory to his name. And so as they sowed the seed, verse 6, generous giving produces a generous reward, as they sowed the seed, God gave them enough to meet their needs for daily life and enough to keep on giving. And so they planted for yet another year, so to speak. Now, what a contrast to the rich farmer. Um, Luke chapter 12, maybe you remember the story Jesus tells. 
Jesus begins the story this way in verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Obviously, he sowed abundantly, as Paul says in verse 6, and he reaped abundantly. So what is he going to do with this overabundant, like this once-in-a-lifetime almost, it seems like, bumper crop? He doesn't think about anybody around him. He doesn't think who he can help. He doesn't think what he can give. But he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I suppose most of you that are farmers would love to have that problem. I mean, I got no more grain bins. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know what to do with it all. I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my grain bins. Well, I, that's my paraphrase. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And then you remember the story ends that night God came to him and said, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. Then who will all these things belong to? So this rich man sowed bountifully. He reaped bountifully. And he hung on to all of it. Paul says, if you sow generously, if you give generously, God will bless you with an abundant harvest in any number of ways, but a harvest not to hoard, not a harvest to hang on with an iron grip, not to lavish on yourself, but to have the resources to give yet again so that you may abound. Why does God bless you with resources? So that you may abound in every good work. And Paul here is talking about, of course, the offering. I thought about this phrase, that you may abound in all good work. And I started thinking, how many Christian ministries are there in the United States and around the world? Many different denominations and groups. Uh, thousands and thousands of them. And then when you think about other charities, worthwhile charities, they might not be Christian charities, but they're above board, they're ethical, they have worthwhile causes to them. So Paul says you may abound in all good work, in every good work. There is no way that you or I as an individual, that we as a congregation, can give to every conceivable good work. So what is Paul talking about here? Because the word all is in there, isn't it? That you may abound in every good work. What's this abounding in every good work business? I, I think the answer is laid out beautifully in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, most of us know verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2 where Paul says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then he goes on in the next phrase, verse 10, and says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. So what good works are you to do? What good works am I to do? What good works are we as a congregation to do? It's those works out of the thousands and thousands and thousands of them, those good works which God prepared beforehand for us to engage in. God has prepared 
you for specific good works. God has prepared our congregation for specific good works. And then he directs us, invites us, uh, supplies for us all that we need to engage in those good works that he has specifically placed in front of us. And you think of those categories, what are those categories of good works? I, I thought of three of them very simply. We're called to support our local church. We're called to support our ministries here by participation, by investing of our time, our gifts, our talents, our resources. Uh, we're called to be engaged in mission and evangelism. That's right there in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples is the way the Great Commission begins. And so some of that is through our local ministries. Some of it is through ministries abroad, different agencies and mission groups. We can't do all of it, but what has God placed in front of us? I think of back in um, 2011 when um, Laurel and I went to Kenya. I never had any idea that that would end up being a work God placed in front of us here in Botno to be involved in. But he prepared beforehand that work for us to be engaged in. Uh, I, I think of, of uh, locally with our uh, Awana Club. We started out, none of us had a clue how Awana Club was supposed to go, except there were only two people that were, Becky Hill was one and Laurel was the other. They'd ever been in an Awana Club once in their life. And so we started out with a group of us, all of us clueless except for two people. And to see how then the Lord has opened the doors in a beautiful way. This year, in our club, out of 110 kids, we had 40 that have no church background, no church home whatsoever. Mission Field comes right in the door. And even some of those that have a church home, they never go, they never participate, they don't really know Christ as Savior. And, and so, so that was one thing. We, we didn't plan ahead and say, let's do... I mean, God placed that in front of us. He opened the doors for us. That's one of those good works He prepared ahead of time which we didn't anticipate, but he prepared ahead of time for us to walk in them. Not every church is going to have an Awana club. Not every church is going to go to Kenya. But they have other good works which God has prepared beforehand for them to walk in. That's the beauty of the Christian church is when every congregation, when every individual embraces what it is that God has placed in front of us, uh, the, the work of ministry goes forward in such a beautiful and a powerful way. And, and then I think, so not only the, the congregation, the Great Commission... But, but just one more, to care for and minister to those in need. Uh, giving and ministry uh, shouldn't take place just within the walls of the building. Shouldn't take place just within, if I can use the word, official ministries. Um, but what about people around us who have needs that we can help with? Um, in the context of our passage, Paul is raising money for poor believers in Jerusalem. They were persecuted, they had lost their businesses, they had lost their jobs, there was famine, there was poverty, and so Paul went to the wealthier churches and said, can you help? I invite you to give, I invite you to help. And so you think about for us here, what do we have? Every communion Sunday, we gather funds for our cup of cold water fund. Uh, most of you have no idea where those funds specifically go. But we keep it confidential, not secretive, uh, they're administered in an above-board way, but people in our church who have a special need, we hear about it. We can help you. Uh, somebody in the community who has a special need, maybe not even part of this congregation, but there's the need that they have. They can't meet that expense. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can help you. 
That's part of what Paul is, is talking about here. Uh, it may mean personal involvement with a friend or a neighbor, somebody that, that lives next door or wherever it is that has a need or has something that they're struggling with. Hey, you need some help with that. That's all part of, of giving. That's the joy of giving. And, and so Paul says God puts in front of us, whether it's on the interpersonal level, whether it's ways to carry out the Great Commission, whether it's supporting our congregation, there are specific things that God has opened up for us to do, and the call is for us to be faithful in those endeavors. I'm going to return to this point uh, next week about God providing what you need to be generous but uh, based on our text, let me just say, if you are willing to give, God will make it possible for you to give. And the promise of our text here in verse 8 is that God is able to provide you with sufficient abundance that you never need be hesitant about freely and generously dispensing it for the glory of his name and for the good of others. Let's pray together. Lord, um, you have blessed each one of us, some more, some less, but we're all blessed. No two gifts are going to be alike, nor should they be. Lord, we're to give from the heart, not off of a chart, not out of a list of demands, but as we sense the needs, as they come before our minds and hearts, then to give willingly, eagerly, cheerfully is the word. Paul uses. And whatever that gift is, when it comes from the heart, then it glorifies you and it does bring about a harvest. There are results that come. And so, Lord, may all of us be uh, fruitful givers. Um, may we be filled with joy and anticipation as to what you are going to do through even the simple acts of kindness to a neighbor. Thank you. That's, that's all part of what giving looks like for a believer. And so fill us, Lord, with uh, that joy and with that cheerfulness as we give to you and to the glory of your name. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.